All right, we are live with episode eight of Uncensored Disability. I uh, wanted to welcome our viewers and listeners to today's podcast, and uh, it's going to be a good one. Today I've got uh, Bethany McKinney-Fox, who is an author uh, and a founder of a church uh, in California uh, that focuses on utilizing people who have all varying levels of ability. So, uh, Bethany, I definitely want to welcome you to today's podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to talk with you today. For sure. Uh, today I wanted to talk about different topics uh, that uh, relate to people with disabilities in church settings, uh, specifically a few of the barriers that come up uh, when we're talking about uh, including people with disabilities in church settings. Um, personally, uh, I've experienced a lot of, uh, if you really want to call it what it is, it's, it's ableism. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much on an indirect level, I wouldn't say it's blatant. Um, discrimination. Um, it's just churches that I've experienced really don't know how to navigate what inclusion looks like. Um, things like, you know, having a stage that has stairs to get onto it to lead worship or, um, having, having different parts of the building be inaccessible. Um, I, uh, I attended one congregation while I was in college that their fellowship hall was actually in the basement of the building with a, a fairly large staircase to get down into it. Um, so it made different events difficult to get, uh, to get down to. Uh, so different things like that. Um, as, as well as the attitude of some churches that believe that the disabled community is a community that is to be looked at as a group of people that uh, need to be healed to show uh, Christ's miraculous uh, abilities on them uh, to become, I guess, undisabled <laughs> is the best way I could see it, mm-hmm. um, in order to be um, really impactful within the church and that just, it's a misuse of the way I believe God designed the church. Um, you know, he uses the analogy or the uh, imagery of uh, the body of Christ uh, many times within the Bible. And to me, if you're viewing the disabled community as just a community that needs to be healed, you're you're really not using in my opinion the full full body of Christ and and all of the attributes and talents that everyone has uh, the disabled community in, included so really it's like we're cutting off an arm or a leg of the body of Christ when we're viewing the disabled community in that way So, Bethany, do you have anything that you would like to expand on that? 
Um, yeah, those are good points. I feel like, um, especially, you know, thinking about how we, you know, the way we do church today and how we, even the buildings are and where we meet and what we do there, you know, the way it looks today is relatively modern. And for some reason, people can still get very attached to feeling like the way we do church and structure our buildings is somehow, you know, handed down from God or something, <laughs> when really mm-hmm. it's a very modern way of doing church. And especially some aspects of the way <clears throat> we gather, um, you know, a lot of churches tend to be pretty passive experiences these days where um, there's stuff going on up front and the role of the congregation is basically just to kind of watch the the show, watch the church show happen up front. Um, and for a lot of people, people with intellectual disabilities for whom, you know, abstract theological concepts um, and just listening to someone speak might not be the uh, best way to be discipled or to learn. Um, but there's a lot of us for whom a kind of more passive church experience doesn't always lend itself to engagement or discipleship or worship. So, um, yeah, I think accessibility and how we do things is really something that should be up for up for conversation and, and adapt to the people who are there and to welcoming new people as they come. For sure. And, and so the church that you've um, helped establish really puts uh, people with disabilities at the, at the forefront as an instrumental, visible part of the church. Um, tell me what that has looked like for you so far. Yeah, so our church um, meets in Los Angeles. It's called uh, Beloved Everybody Church. And um, basically, and, and we're on, you know, social media if people want to see some of what we're doing. But um, basically what we do, um, our, our gatherings right now, they're just monthly. Um, we've changed locations recently and we're still kind of um, growing. And um, our, our gatherings are very participatory. So um, they're created, they're definitely multisensory. So people who engage best through words and listening. Um, there's a way for them to connect people who are more visual. Um, there's a way for them to connect people who like to be kind of hands-on. There's options for that. Like every activity is pretty much, um, there's a number of ways to connect. And the way we read scripture, um, usually we will just read it and then we also will do some kind of, let's say if it's a biblical story or something, we will do like a We'll, we'll act out the scripture so people will take on different parts and we'll act it out. And that's always a really nice way to kind of dig into what is actually happening in the scriptures and to get a sense of, um, you know, what's going on that you don't always get when you're just listening to it, whether you have a disability or not. Um, there's just a way that actually participating in it and seeing it happen and embodying it um, gets at a different level of learning. So, um, so we do that and, um, there's time for just sharing and conversation and um, we have started doing like an embodied Lord's prayer. So we go through, like we do, we say the Lord's prayer together, but it's like with motions so people can connect in different ways to that. Um, so there's just a number of different ways that we 
um, engage together as a community, but it's definitely very relational, very participatory. Um, we do have like a silent area, a silent table where people, if they need some downtime or aren't ready to engage or need a break, are able to go and, and take some time too. Um, but really our, our gathering tends to be pretty community focused and very much not passive. So it's a more of an active relational, um, kind of space. Very nice. And, um, just out of curiosity, uh, what, you know, me being the, the advocate and the mentor and the person with the disability that I've been, um, I, I can see the need for this sort of thing, but what, at what point did you and the others who have started this church, at what point did you see the, the real need for this? Like, what exactly sparked this, uh, this movement for this church? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I feel like, you know, I've known for a long time, I mean, I, I've been involved particularly in the community of people with intellectual disabilities for a long time. I taught special education for a number of years, um, but have been involved in L'Arche, which some people know through Henry Nowen, um, or Jean Vanier. And that's like a community where people, with and without intellectual disabilities share life together, um, and they're all over the world. Um, but I feel like, so I've been kind of engaged with the community of people with intellectual disabilities for a long time, uh, starting with a friendship that I had even in high school with another student um, who, who was in a special education class. And I feel like, you know, throughout my life, I've noticed the gifts that God has um, given people with intellectual disabilities and been aware that churches tend to just see them as objects of our ministry instead of as people who are gifted and called. Um, so I think that, you know, part of that was just recognizing part of what you said is that, you know, as a church, we don't tend to always realize the gifts of the whole body. And so um, it's just so, so then I was thinking, you know, I, I've been I had been in the pastoral ordination process for a long time, but hadn't really felt called to a traditional church. And I thought more about why that might be. Um, And I think I recognized that, you know, for a church to really become accessible takes a lot of change often, especially, you know, if um, if you're going to really change what the Sunday morning structure looks like in a major way, it requires a lot of a lot of changing. Um, and so, you know, most churches, I think pretty much anybody who's ever been a part of a church for more than about five minutes is aware that change in churches takes lots of time. Um, even the smallest change takes a lot of time in a church. So um, I think I was just recognizing that and thinking, wow, to create a truly accessible worship experience where the gifts of people of all abilities are really welcomed and celebrated and um, affirmed would take, um, you know, very big changes. And so then to recognize that, you know, I don't really think I would have even be alive long enough to wait for a church to make all those changes where I to be kind of working in the midst of a traditional established church. So that's when I realized, you know, I feel like God is just calling me to this yes, to, to do this worship 
and gathering in this new way. And so that means beginning a, a new community that can kind of worship in an accessible way. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The, uh, the churches that I've kind of spoken with and, and done, um, a few speaking engagements with, I, I've met with the leadership there and the, um, the overwhelming response that I would, would get is, oh, this is going to take a lot of money or this is going to take, you know, a lot of resources that we just don't have. Um, so I definitely agree with you there when you say that it's, it's a gradual change. Um, and in a lot of ways, it, it, to bring about the best change, I, I, I would agree with you is to just start from the ground up, um, building uh, a community with the expectation that, you know, we're going to really celebrate and utilize the whole spectrum of abilities of people that we encounter. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I definitely think that there's, there's, there's benefits to both uh, avenues when, when you were talking about bringing about change. Um, yeah. And I think it depends on the size of the church too. You know, like I feel like some churches, if it's a real small church, um, like a very local parish community, sometimes they're willing, you know, often they will be responsive to people who come in um, who just need, you know, a modification of some kind or just they'll, they'll kind of, if it's a really small community, it's very personal. So if somebody comes in who needs a certain thing um, or worships in a certain way, not always, <laughs> but there can be some flexibility to just find ways to make it work. Um, it tends to be harder in bigger churches because the production that happens up front is even more elaborate. And so that tends to be the focus and less on the people who are gathered. Um, in a way, when it's a really big church, um, it doesn't really matter who's sitting in the pews because it's kind of a little more anonymous. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're in a really small church, you know who's there with you and it's more of a community feel. Um, and so people sometimes can find ways to be creative and make things work. But um, that's just been my experience a little bit. So in really big churches, they tend to more do, if they do something for disability, it tends to be like a segregated. They'll do maybe a separate service or they'll do like a class uh, or like a separate ministry, um, in a, in like a larger megachurch or just bigger church setting. Right. There's there's definitely with a larger congregation, it's definitely more um, hoops to jump through, and sure. more more approvals to get. Um, and it's in a lot of ways, it's harder to get everyone on board, um, just because larger leadership groups tend to to be more divisive. Yeah. And I think they just see what they're doing differently. They really do focus on the upfront thing that happens during a worship gathering and are focused less on, they're focused on how many people come, but exactly who those people are um, and 
whether the people, it, it doesn't really matter because they're not doing much other than just watching. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just not as big of a, a deal for them. Um, and I think, you know, it's nice that there's lots of sizes of churches and lots of different things out there. I think God does work. I don't think every church needs to look like what beloved everybody church looks like. I think God, obviously, it's beautiful that there's such a diverse way of, of meeting. But I think especially like what you're talking about, that um, we need to recognize that the people who are coming um, have both things you might be able to notice when you meet them and things that don't that might make your gathering inaccessible and it might be worth thinking about how to be truly accessible um, to make sure all God's people are able to participate. Mm. Yeah, and and as you're saying that, I'm thinking about... um, you know, people with different um, disabilities that that cause them to not be able to um, sit for a long time or stand for a long time. I, I I visited a congregation uh, within the last six months, and most, if not all, of their worship service was uh, done standing. And wow. unless, unless you're, you know, you've gotten an auditorium that has, you know, accessibility modifications done, um, a person in my, my situation is in a wheelchair, you're going to be looking at the back of the head of the person in front of you the whole time and you're yeah. really not getting the full, um, experience of, that worship service that everyone else is experiencing. So if, unless churches are really intentional about safeguarding against those kind of things, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap of who, who are we going to accommodate and how can we accommodate the largest number of people? Um, which by, you know, by that approach, you're you're excluding a large number of people as well, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I think people often just don't think about it if it's not if they're not friends with someone who has a disability, or um, I think if if they don't experience any kind of major physical um, limitation in their own life, I think a lot of people just don't think about it, and because it's not personal to them, it's easy to exclude because there isn't really a face on it. They kind of, it doesn't feel like they're really leaving any people out because everybody they know would be able to participate. Um, So I think a lot of it is based on our relationships and our communities and our own bodies and who we know, and that leads us to do certain things um, and to be aware in certain ways and then and not to be. For sure. And that's, that's a lot of the work that I've done with churches is, um, certainly there's a, there's a public speaking aspect to it, but a lot of the work that I've done is just having simple conversations with church leaders saying, you know, here's the way I see you functioning right now. Have you ever thought about implementing this or, um, changing things to do, you know, do things this way? Um, 
and and show them the results of what that change would look like um, with other congregations that have done um, more inclusive um, aspects to the way they function. And um, a a lot of church leaders are responsive and, and the way I put it is people want to do the right thing. And, and I think people would mostly agree that inclusion is the right thing to do within a church setting or within society really in general. Um, but specifically talking about church settings, I think people would agree that inclusion is the right way to go. Yeah. It's just they don't know how or they don't know what that looks like. So they need um, individuals like you and I to to come in and, and say, here's my experience. Here's tools that you can use um, to foster a more inclusive community. Um and really just educate on what inclusion looks like. Um, so that was going to be my next, uh, next question to you is how exactly do we change the attitude of churches that don't see the need of including, uh, people with disabilities? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess I feel like there's a, a few ways to go about it and some that I think are tend to be more effective than others. Um, I mean, one way, and I think this is part of why I wrote the book um, about disability and healing and Jesus, um, is that, you know, I think sometimes we need to recognize that it's actually a matter of being faithful to Jesus, in the to, to following Jesus, that calls us to make sure that people who with with disabilities are welcomed into the community. So sometimes it's just bringing scripture and certain theological lenses to people to help them, to help undergird some of these practices. Um, but for a lot of people, that isn't where it starts. Um, it really honestly happens through relationship most of the time. It's really people coming to know somebody with a disability, learning their story, learning the barriers they've had to encounter um, in churches that give them that, you know, because I think a lot of people just need that personal um, connection to really begin to change things. And I think, you know, the, the hard thing is that means people with disabilities are bearing the burden of having to tell their story over and over again and be like around these people who are really, have a lot to learn (laughs) and probably will make some mistakes that might be hurtful. And so I feel like that's part of where, you know, people without disabilities who are allies can, can tell some of those stories too, or can point to um, books or videos or places where people with disabilities, they, you know, we can access these stories without it having to be a direct relationship, but you can still hear someone's story that they've told like through a book or through a video or something like that. Um, cause I do think personalizing it, I don't know if this has been your experience, um, but I feel like personalizing it is really a way to, um, make people feel more like this is something they want to do because they actually have a face on it and it isn't just, um, you know, an anonymous, 
thing that they're doing this work for. I agree with that. And I want to touch on a, a point you just made that I definitely feel that while people in church leadership don't always know what to do, I think the fear of doing something and it being hurtful stops a lot of churches from doing anything at all. Um, <laughs> it's just they they get in their comfort zone of something that works to them, and then they let the fear of of that hurt, causing that hurt to stop them from really being um, inclusive um, to the fullest extent that they can be. Um, how, uh, other than, uh, well, I guess, I guess I'll answer my own question. I guess it, it lends itself to the disabled community, um, giving permission in some ways to be hurtful hmm. and allowing churches to see that that's okay. Um, because like I said, it's probably going to come from a place of unintentionality um, while they navigate an, an area that they honestly don't know. Yeah. So I think uh, myself and, and others like me have to be willing to um, give some grace where it's due when churches try something and it doesn't really work. So I think that would be a, a definite um, positive um, place to, to focus on is um, not expecting churches to be perfect, but, you know, saying that it's okay to not say the right thing all the time or do the right thing all the time. As long as, um, like you said, as long as they're trying to honor Jesus in their actions, um, when it comes to including the disabled community. Yeah. Well, I think part of what it means, like when you're talking about if someone were to set up a practice that was, that, that didn't work or could be harmful, I think part of that gets, is that it's less if you actually are planning it together with people with disabilities, you know, mm-hmm. that it isn't just like the church makes it up for the people mm-hmm. with disabilities, but it's like a co-leadership where people with disabilities are, um, leading alongside people without disabilities. So. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's voices are actually like in the planning process and they're leading. So that's actually where I got my start was I was part of a congregation. Um, it was a small congregation at the time. It was only about a hundred members. Um, but while I was in high school and really the, the focus I had on disability inclusion started to bloom was uh because I was a part of a congregation that really um, saw the benefit of having someone like me who has spina bifida being an active part of their ministry and, and not just a an entity that was ministered to. Yeah. Um, 
and so having a church that's really um seeing someone in an active ministry role i think would do uh big things to sparking that congregation to want to engage in it more um so i think that's where congregations like yours are so in, uh important not only for the uh, assemblies that you have for uh, people with disabilities, but also networking within the community uh, that you're in with different congregations um, right. and showing them what it looks like to have people with disabilities really um, engaging in ministry. Um, in my experience is that really has rubbed off on um the the faith communities that I've been a part of and um tell me a little bit more about what that looks like in your community not necessarily just in your church but just yeah. in your your geographical location of the churches around you yeah so I, well I would say a couple of things <clears throat> on one hand you know we're part of a well I'm I'm ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA and so um we have like local bodies where churches are you know in in specific geographical regions um we have like, you know, a bunch of churches that are kind of part of a, it's called a presbytery. So that's like the local, you know, a bunch of churches are part of it. And so there's like every other month, there's like a gathering with all those communities. So, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've been able to talk about, um, because we're networked in a, in a denomination, I'm able to kind of come to that meeting occasionally and talk about the work that we're doing and accessibility and answer some questions. Um, and even at a denominational level, putting together some resources so that we can be thinking about, um, you know, how to be more um, accessible and, and how to make sure people with disabilities are able to join and lead and everything like that. Um, I would say more than at the when you're when you're talking about expanding people's imaginations for how to be a community that um is more accessible and has different kinds of practices. I would say more than like direct geographical on the ground kinds of relationships. What's the way I think that happens a lot for us is through social media. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, you know, we have a lot more people who follow us on social media than come to our services. Um, We're like pretty small. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think people who are in churches uh, who, like you were saying, have a, value for wanting to be more accessible and want to be including people with disabilities in their practices and leadership and things um, just need ideas for how to make that happen. And so I usually try to, um, on our social media, share, you know, this is the practice that we did and this is how we made it more accessible and this is what it looked like. Um, I try to give some information like that so that it actually is both sharing and also like a little bit instructive for people who are looking for ideas um, for how to make their communities more accessible. So, um, so yeah, I think that, you know, in, in today's day and age, social media tends to be <laughs> a way a lot of people connect. And so um, that's been a way that I know other churches and other People I know who either do this kind of ministry or run churches have definitely borrowed from some of the practices that we've done 
um, to, to do those in their own churches. And I think in some ways that feeling like we're a witness and able to, um, you know, be an example, not, I mean, we do not get everything right at all, but, um, we're trying. And so I think for us putting our trying and our experimenting, um, up on social media for people to witness and, um, take whatever they can from and adapt it for their own community is really been a helpful way that we've been able to just be doing our own work in the world. Good. Um, excuse me. I'm encouraged to hear that. Um, it's definitely, you know, when we all have a singular focus, which is in this case would be honoring Christ, um, and really let him bring about the change that we um, are seeking. I think we often underestimate what can be had to be done um, when we really take the focus off of ourselves and put it on Christ. Um, and so I think just marketing it that way and and really showing um, faith communities that this is not just uh, a person focused thing it's it's really a christ focused thing um, I would venture to say that most churches would have a hard time saying no yeah yeah, but they still do, but I agree <laughs> <laughs> so let's 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 chat let's touch on that for just a second um when you get any sort of negative feedback or, I guess, rejection, so to say, um, what does that look like and how have you overcome that sort of thing? Um, I mean, it doesn't happen, obviously, in our community since we're a startup and I kind of get to decide how things go. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't happen in our community, but um, I think that, I'm trying to think of, so, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in, like, a very traditional church context. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I did work in one for several years. Um, and, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I mostly hear stories from other people about ways that they, they're working for accessibility in their congregation and the barriers that they're facing. Um and I think, like you said, sometimes it is one of money. Um, if it if it does involve some kind of construction, um, I think that that can be expensive. Um, but I think you know people, and and I think that happens too, like for personnel, for even um, if there's children with disabilities who need some additional supports or something, um, churches will say they just don't have the resources for that. Um, but the reality is churches have budgets and they choose to spend their money on certain things. And mm-hmm. so, um, you could choose to spend your money on making things more accessible for certain people with disabilities, or you could choose to spend it in a different way. And I think mm-hmm. it just, you know, budgets reflect values. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that some churches are not able to do, but, Often accessibility isn't even about, you know, money. Sometimes, often it's just um, doing things in a different way. Like um, if there was, let's say there was an inaccessible platform and 
it was going to be too much money to make it accessible. Well, I wonder if we could just do everything on the ground or, and no one would be on the platform or if that would get in the way for people being able to see to try something else. You know, I mean, it's just like being able to be creative mm-hmm. is often the way toward accessibility. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't always take a lot of money. But I think that the, you know, I think in churches, we're often also working on volunteer labor um, who people are tired. They might have other jobs. Um, so they don't necessarily have all this time to brainstorm and be creative um, because they might just be running on a shoestring and trying to just do things the way they've always been done um, mm-hmm. because it can be hard to think of new ways. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. What What do you think about that? And, and I, I, I would definitely agree with that. It's, um, And we've also got to think that if we have a certain idea of what a church should look like in our mind, we shouldn't consider it a failure if churches aren't aren't able to live up to that expectation. Um, I'll give you an example. I I was working... uh, fairly closely with a church um when I was in college and <clears throat> I even so much as to to did a did a uh, tour of their building um with the church leader and um brought up some points that um could have been better from an accessibility standpoint um some of, and, and I tried to give them a wide range of costs and feasibility in the plan that I was giving them. Um, one of which was their auditorium staging area, um, had several steps that would be inaccessible for, um, anyone who, um, could not ambulate very yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also tried to mention things like changing the way their classrooms were set up, just moving, rearranging chairs, that kind of thing, um, as well as um, their 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 exit and entrance doors were fairly heavy doors. So I one of the recommendations I had was adding push buttons, electronic push buttons. Um, to opening uh, their doors. And so I just gave them a whole list of things that they could pick and choose from. Yeah. um, And gave them reasons why I was suggesting these things, not just saying, oh, um, this needs to change and this needs to change. I really tried to put a focus on the why of why it needed to change. Yeah. um, To really get them to see not, you know, exactly what my way of thinking was behind that. And, to be honest, not everything that I uh, suggested to them uh, had been done. Yeah. Um, but I would venture to say about half the things that I that I had recommended they they really latched onto, and the things that they couldn't latch onto, they definitely saw uh, my reasoning behind it and weren't 
just making me feel like they didn't think that they were important. Everything that I had suggested to that congregation was important. It's just we had to figure out a plan of what was feasible um, in a year, in three years, in ten years down the road um, and really formulate the plan for that kind of thing. So I definitely think that um, if everything can't be done now in the next year, um, we kind of have to temper our expectations of what's feasible and what's not feasible. Well, and I think to prioritize, right, certain things mm-hmm. might be more like having a bathroom that everyone can use seems mm-hmm. a pretty high priority <laughs> uh-huh. um, in terms of physical access. But there are mm-hmm. other things that kind of, you know, can can wait a little bit longer. Um, I mean, I did for a number of years. I was the accessibility director at a seminary. And so that's the same thing where there's budget restrictions um, on certain things. And so. You know, not every building, these are old buildings without elevators, some of them. And so not every building is going to be able to have an elevator. But then what do we do to communicate to people that can't climb stairs um, that they're still welcome to meet with people or go to the offices on the higher floors? How do we increase accessibility even without being able to install an elevator in a building, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's it's partly just creativity too and making sure that people know that they're at least thought of that. It's not like, Oh, we didn't even think anybody would ever come in a wheelchair, but it's like you're, it it can, it shows that you're aware that people who have different ways of navigating the world in terms of mobility, you know, they're part of the community. And so you create a community with the awareness that people who navigate the world in different kinds of ways are all going to be there and you show that in the way that you set things up. So there's a way of doing that and being hospitable, um, even if everything isn't ideal uh, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I would definitely agree with that. All right. I think that's actually a, a good place to, to stop there. Um, before we close out, I, will, I definitely want to uh, make a push for uh your book bethany it's called disability in the way of jesus written by bethany mckinney fox i highly recommend it it's a great resource for uh churches and individuals who are wanting to venture into the the topic of inclusion um not necessarily from just an accessibility standpoint but also from a theology standpoint i think the the scriptures definitely tell us a lot about um, being inclusive, and and I think your book does a good job of of shedding light on uh, what inclusion uh, should look like from uh, a biblical perspective. So I definitely definitely recommend uh, this book as a resource, and it is uh, very well written, and uh, recommend it for everyone who uh who is listening to this podcast and uh i uh want to thank you for your time and before we close out bethany do you have any uh closing remarks you'd like to add no just uh thanks for the work that you're doing it was great to talk with you today thanks for having me for sure and uh we'll see you next time and uh be on the lookout for episode nine here shortly
All right. Well, thank you, viewers and listeners. And uh, that is a wrap for today. We'll talk to you soon.